The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. It is indeed that time again, and we welcome you back to another episode of Afternoons with Mike. Heard daily here on the Shepherd Radio Network, all from Gainesville, all the way down to Orlando, and in between with the villages and Ocala being served with WRZN. We're so grateful to have all of you here with us today. Uh, And we're getting close to Christmas, not that far off at all. And we're going to have the coldest weather in Central Florida in 30 years. So get ready for that if you haven't heard about that this uh, Saturday night. uh, Friday night and Saturday night, actually, going to be quite cold um, below freezing in Orlando and much colder than that up in Gainesville and Marion County. So be prepared. Bring those plants inside. On today's program, I'm honored to have a first-time guest with me today. I have Nathan Weaver here. He is the senior, uh, the founder and the executive director of a company called Petra Worldwide. And we're going to be finding out all about that. Welcome to my program, Nathan. Hi, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's great having you here on this uh, you know, we're getting close to Christmas Eve now. It's just a couple of days away. What are your plans for this big uh, Christmas Christmas season? Well, I think the first thing I better do is go find my wool coats and jackets <laughs> yeah, and get ready for right. that cold weather. Yeah. Now you you were we talked earlier. You were born here. I, I am a native Floridian. So you've seen a few winters before that are cold. Only a few. I can probably count them on one hand. You know, yeah. one of the things I love about being in Florida. Is the warm weather and, you know, being able to, you know, see the palm trees and the sunshine on Christmas Day. You know, we moved down here in the, I guess it was 85 and a couple of years later, and that's about, uh, I guess, um, so this would have to be uh, late 80s, early 90s when those freezes hit. You would remember that because it was quite cold. And I remember one day Mm -hmm. it was actually flurrying in Orlando, and that doesn't happen very often. Such a rare occasion. I think twice in my life have we seen snow flurries in Central Florida. Well, tomorrow night, just to put in context to the word cold, tomorrow night in my hometown where I was born in Indiana, Evansville, Indiana, it's going to be minus two for them. And they could get uh, a full day of rain. And this is something terrible about the Midwest. It could rain all day with falling temperatures. All that water turns into ice as the temperature plunges below freezing. And then they're going to be experiencing snow uh, that will pick up from the rain. Rain turns to snow one to three inches is what they're expecting there. And it's not going to go away until after Christmas. So if your friends and family are wise, they will be coming to visit you. (laughs) That's what I say. But I I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to be (laughs) snowbound. But they will have a white Christmas. So they'll be able to enjoy that aspect. Underneath all that white stuff is just wet, frozen ice. And uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not uh, missing that stuff at all this year. Uh, but Nathan is really great to have an, a, a Floridian, a born and raised Floridian. I bet you I could count on my one hand how many times I talk to people <laughs> who can say that. So it's not very often. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Like I said, not many native Floridians around. Now, your parents, were they also natives to Florida? My father was. My mother uh, moved to Florida in her junior high school years, and she was from uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, you know, finished high school in Central Florida. I met my father and stayed here, fell in love, and started a family. There you go. That's wonderful. It's a great place to live, and I'm, I'm really glad that we have this opportunity to be together today. Hear your story. Uh, were they believers? Were they part of a church? They were. They were. They were certainly very strong believers. And the the knowledge of Christ has been a foundation. You know, it's been a family foundation for us you know, ever since I can remember. Mm-hmm. My mother was a missionary and she worked really hard in the church and she worked with the, the missionary society and she traveled the country and 
uh, different spots in the world and really enjoyed missionary activity. What was the organization? She was with the African American Episcopal Church. Okay. The AME. Uh, the there. AME Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's kind of where we grew up in the AME Church and that's where we took our roots and you know, that's where we really saw, you know, culture and Christianity come together and it just became a part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And that's quite an experience to have a parent that was in missions. That that's uh that right there opens the door to a lot of discussions. A lot of just hearing and overhearing uh, discussions, even if you're not the one they're talking about, you hear, and it becomes part of your culture, doesn't it? It does. It does. And when you say discussions in my mind, I hear debates and I hear heated debates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're not always that way, but they can turn that way, right? Absolutely. My, my father, he was a deacon in the church and, you know, he served his entire life. And you know, I, have a, my, I have an older brother and a younger sister. Mm-hmm. My older brother, he's he's a pastor and he's led churches all over the country and uh, now leads church down in the Tampa area. So, you know, it's, it's part of who we are. I mean, serving the Lord has been a lifelong journey and it continues to be a lifelong journey for him. Now, when did it turn from something that you saw mom and dad do and you saw your family going to a church service? When did it turn from that to really where you could say, yeah, I know the Lord? Probably my second year in college. When I gra- I graduated uh, high school in 1987, and when I graduated in 87, my brother, who's three years older, he was already at the University of Central Florida. So my parents were like, hey, you got one choice, the University of Central Florida. So yeah. I moved over to the Go University. Go Knights. Huh? <laughs> Go Knights. Yeah. And somewhere in about my, my second, third year in college, I really came to understand how much I enjoyed business. Uh, because you know, leaving home and really being on the college campus and getting into the college culture, you begin to kind of question or lose some of the foundation, you know, at least on the surface, it appears that way. And so you, you go through this kind of a phase of life where uh, you're, you're kind of doing the party thing, but you kind of know your roots and your foundation. You're like, okay, how does this all come together? And when does it, it begin to make sense? You know, a, a lot of kids will live their all the way through high school years with that uh, kind of a close close dedication in their heart to the church, to the Lord, get to be a freshman, move away, go to a school, and enter that party scene and never look back. I mean, so I'm grateful that that was not your experience. Yeah, it's true. I have lots of friends that went that way, and they, they still have not come back to the Lord, you know, but you know, it's never too late. And I believe strongly the word is mm-hmm. true. And the word says, you know, teach, you know, train a child up, you know, and they will not depart. And they will, you know, you'll come back to the word uh, because the calling, the emptiness, you know, that void in your, in your heart, the Lord is, the Lord is always going to fill that void. Mm-hmm. Right. And the only thing that can fill it is the, the Lord. And sometimes people have to go through just the process of life to begin to understand, you know, there's only really one solution. Uh, and once they start to have right. that revelation of, you know, the one solution, they remember their foundation and the, the roots that are inside of them begin to to spring new life, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's so good. So good. You mentioned loving business. What about that in those early times that when you look back and you think about that realization that came upon you, what was it then that let you know that this is something that you wanted to do with your life? It was certainly the realization, being able to see the concepts that I learned in the classrooms. You know, as you go through high school and, and nowadays even junior high school, and you're learning complicated concepts like algebra and trigonometry and, mm-hmm. and, and, and these different sciences and things that you're like, okay, where am I ever going to use this? Because now we have computers that'll do all the math for you. And But the concepts that you learn, how do you apply them in real real life? Yeah. Once I began to have some real life experience, I could see how these concepts really played out in real world applications. Mm -hmm. I could see how these concepts played a role in solving problems every day. You know, my, my first job, and I continued this job through, through my first couple of years of college, I worked at McDonald's. I mean, on my 16th birthday, I'd walk to McDonald's. I begged the manager to hire me. They hired me and I, I started there. And, you know, by the time I was 19, I was uh, running the second highest volume McDonald's in the country. 
Wow. And this is I'm, at 19. Know, at 19. Right. This wow. is, you know, I'm still in school at, at this time. Right. Yeah. It's uh, amazing. You know, I ended up taking a little hiatus from, from, from college. I'm like, Hey, I want to, you know, go down this management path and kind of explore it. And that's where everything I had learned in high school and my first couple of years in college really came together. I'm like, I understand these principles and how they apply in the real world and how they really help people become success, mm-hmm. find success, build the path. Uh, and it made sense to me. And so that's what ignited kind of a passion for me. And really to, I, I call it a passion, but I think what it really helped me do was discover my gift, my gift of, mm-hmm. of, of administration, if you will. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing to realize that God has given that to you. It's not just something that you have, you know, have some good luck with and maybe you had a great teacher, to, but you add to that a natural gifting that is God-given. That really makes a difference. Absolutely. Uh, you know, because the word says, you know, your gift will make room for you and mm-hmm. one body in many parts. And as long as we all bring our gifts together, the kingdom works. Mm-hmm. The kingdom works and it works well. Uh, but there are certainly different disciplines and different gifts that we all possess and the brilliance of God to equip each one of us with a unique set of skills and talents that when we bring them together and we become interdependent, mm-hmm. it really yields a wonderful result. Now, you mentioned putting the schooling on hold for a short while. How long did it take you to pick that back up again? So I, I took about a six-year hiatus from 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 college. and. Um, I had promised my mom, I'm like, mom, I promise you I'm going to, mm-hmm. to finish. And she was like, oh, I'm not sure you're, you know, you're making a bigger paycheck and you're really loving this management journey that you're on. But it was the most incredible journey in terms of just raw management and development for a 19 year old kid to be able to work for a company that was at the time in terms of management training, they were ranked number two in the world. Right. IBM was yeah. ranked number one. But McDonald's was ranked number two in management training. And so they would send you to conferences and workshops all over the country to be developed and be trained and learn business. And to me, that was so much more meaningful than spending the time in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But I, I certainly recognize how important the classroom environment and completing you know, that college degree is. And you know, certainly went back, I finished, I graduated, undergraduate degree in accounting, uh, and, you know, been really happy with that choice ever since. That's really great. Now, do you feel that McDonald's, would you say they've held on to that perch of number two in the country? Or would you think that they might have moved down the list? They have probably moved down the list. I haven't, you know, looked at those those stats in, in a while. Mm-hmm. But I would assume with the pace of some of the technology companies, the Amazons of the world and the Googles and you know, some of the, the, the younger companies that have come up, they probably have done training and management a little bit different because the environment continues to evolve. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure how well McDonald's kept up with the pace of the, the involve, evolving environment and business. Uh, but I would assume there's probably a lot of competition for companies that have the best management training mm-hmm. uh, today. Some of the choices that McDonald's and uh, maybe we've got a manager listening today and uh, you'll get my two cents worth. <laughs> Some of the choices that they've made, because uh, I love uh, still, there's a McDonald's not far from our studio here that I go to regularly. And I find that drive through hasn't changed that much. It's really very convenient mm-hmm. going in though. Uh, with now having to order on these kiosks, I'm a techie kind of guy, but I find that to be a bit uh, worrisome and a, a kind of a longer than it needs to be to do that. So m- my two cents worth is I'd like those good old fashioned smiling people there that take your order. I don't know. That's yep. just me. Maybe. That 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 train has left the station, Mike. You can <laughs> you can wave those days goodbye. They're yeah. not coming back, unfortunately. Oh, that is so sad. Yeah. So much of the world has gone that way. It's like uh, now, young people they'll if they're going to go to a drive through, they don't even wait to order at the drive through. They place their order online and then they pull up into a spot and it's like handed to them through their window. It's true. It's so, so true that the technology has certainly changed the way we do everything. 
the the kiosk in in the fast food industry has been a real interesting transition in the in the in the west you know these these applications existed and the first time i was exposed to that whole kiosk order yourself experience at a mcdonald's was actually in bangalore india uh, i i was in bangalore india on business and i went to a mcdonald's in one of their their malls and they had the kiosk I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And that yeah. was, that was years ago. That was years before it came to, uh, really became, became popular here in the West. Uh, and same experience I am, um, was in Dubai. Um, now, technology. That's a beautiful area. I understand. It, it is absolutely beautiful, but very cutting edge in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the kind of the migration of that technology in the West, um, you know, lagged behind you know, the parts of the world in the East. But this is what happens, you know, when, you know, we have, we have laws that mandate, you know, $15 an hour, the marketplace responds to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's no action that does not have an opposite equal reaction, you know, and that basic principle applies to everything in life. So, you know, people cheer when they say, oh, mandatory $15 an hour. That's great. But you know, what's going to happen is, you know, that business owner is going to yeah. Leverage technology to manage that cost. There'd be fewer people making that money. Yes. Than what there would have been before. Happens every time. Yeah, it really does. And uh, it sounds like that my two cents worth of that uh, thought is not going to go very, <laughs> very far at all. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just not, th- those days are over. Yeah. Can, yeah. But I can also remember one other thing, and those days are over too. The advertising that you could get a burger, fries, and a Coke. And get change back from your dollar. <laughs> now, I actually remember that. That's definitely over. That would be a, a really fun experiment. The nice thing is you yeah. can tell your grandkids, hey, you know, I remember when you would go to McDonald's and they would take your order. You know, yeah. or we could, you know, buy burger, fries, and a Coke and get change back from yeah, your dollar. That's right. <laughs> and the kids will look at us and go, you're fooling me, Grandpa. <laughs> Hey, no way they're going to do that. I've got to put my order in right now for my, my to-go order. That's right. And pay on your phone with your Apple Pay. Oh, and that's right. Yeah. How, how no, weird is all of this? No currency at all. Yeah. Where does this end? And wherever it does end, I'm not sure it's going to be a, a fun or pleasant ending, but you're right. And uh, tickets. We went to a concert, went to see Trans-Siberian Orchestra, mm-hmm. and I had the tickets in my iPhone in my Apple wallet. Uh, I, I tell you, this is a, a new day. A very new learning, right? Yeah. Yeah, the very new learning. But you know what? We know prophecy has to be fulfilled, right? And we know that this road takes us to Revelation. We know it takes us to the mark of the beast. Mm-hmm. We know how this story ends. And so, you know, being in the family of Christ, the nice thing is as we see this society evolve, as we you know, see everything from the social movements to the technology movements, you know, sometimes we get taken back, mm-hmm. but at the same time, when we stop and we think about what we know about scripture, we know how the story ends. That's a good point. And thankfully we know that it ends in the favor of believers. And I'm grateful for that. And there's a Amen. lot of people right now who are discouraged at things that are happening in the world, but it is helpful when we keep our eyes on the word of God, as you've just Dronus. Nathan Weaver is my guest. He is with Petra Worldwide. We're going to find out all about Petra, what they do, how they help churches when we return. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Afternoons with Mike. My guest in the studio is Nathan Weaver. Nathan leads the organization called Petra Worldwide. And their website is PetraWorldwide.org. So you've gone from being a UCF Knight and a (laughs) McDonald's businessman 
uh, for a number of years. Then you went back to school, got your degree in accounting. How did you end up forming this company called Petra? And so one of the things that I discovered, and I shared just a few minutes ago, was that I had a real passion for business, specifically uh, around the financial aspect of business. And so my decision to major in accounting was a pretty easy decision. I had a knack for numbers and I understood the role that understanding numbers played in, in business every day. So I, I went that route and it really just, just worked well for me. So after, after graduating college, I'd, I'd worked for Darden Restaurant for mm, a number yeah. of years. And, Olive Garden uh, in that group. Yeah, Olive Garden, Red Lobster at the time, mm-hmm. Bahama Breeze, some of their other brands. And, and that was equally as wonderful of an experience. Uh, I literally traveled around the world uh, with the organization. Uh, I had a number of roles, everything, you know, from, you know, market research analyst to being in charge of food costs for some of the brands, uh, being in charge of supply chain for some of the restaurant deliveries, just really exciting roles. And so as I learned and had experiences, you know, working in the corporate office and traveling around the country and being able to have an opportunity to, to learn different dynamics and disciplines of business. Uh, my roots, my roots of Christ first never left me. Mm. And so what, what really happened was as I learned every day, I really started to consider it and I give credit to the Holy spirit that it's really on the job training. It's every day on the job training. And at some point I need to bring these talents and gifts back to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so that's how Petro Worldwide was was formed. Uh, I actually founded the company and started to grow the organization from a spare bedroom in my in my home uh doing just small accounting and tax work for family and friends and continue to grow the organization and really uh tailored the organization to reach out to 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 churches. You know, so what we do at Petro Worldwide, we are a regional accounting, tax, and real estate firm. We service clients from Miami to the Caribbean, mm. and we specialize in the faith-based market. And so nonprofits, churches, you know, that's that's our niche. Pastors. Market. Pastors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's where we, we specialize. And we specialize there because, you know, our, our, our mission and our vision we, we strengthen ministries to transform humanity. And how do we do that? How we really do that is by bringing to ministries expertise and infrastructure. You know, when, you know, I spent those years with you know, McDonald's and Darden and I'm learning business on a global scale, you know, I can see components that really help businesses be successful. And end of the day, it's expertise and infrastructure. But, expertise and infrastructure, they don't help you unless you have a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. Everything comes out from the foundation. And so Petra is the Greek word for rock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people will recognize Petra as one of the, the holy cities and there's actually a city, Petra. And, you know, and a rock band that was named Petra. Too. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> right. And so, you know, Petra is the name that the Holy Spirit placed on my heart in representation of the foundation. Right. And so rock solid foundation to help ministries really begin to transform humanity. And the way they do that is to be able to scale, you know, to be able to scale their services to the community, their services to their members, being able to assess their needs and they need expertise and infrastructure to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we, we actually started Petro worldwide. And like I mentioned, started from a small spare bedroom in, in my, in my, home before I had children and um, kind of grew up and we have an office now in Altamont Springs. And like I mentioned, we service clients from New York to the Caribbean. It's beautiful. I, I've always loved the story of Peter in the Bible who was named Petros, yes. small rock. And upon this rock, Petra, uh, the difference in seeing those words in play, both of them meaning rock, but one of them, obviously, the, and I love the fact that you brought out how that the Lord is our foundation. He is the chief cornerstone uh, of our of our building. So what a great name. And it carries so much, I believe, meaning uh, into what you do. Now, you mentioned something that I could not agree with more. 
you said earlier that there's some training, some education that only comes when you're on the job, when you're actually in the workplace. And I'm sure that was true, but the foundation that you went into those places, you had with the Lord giving you that foundation. But when you think about what you did with McDonald's and then with Darden and now with Petra worldwide, there's a a love and I, I guess a vision where you take all of, because a a person of your management skill has to really know everything down to the bolts and the, 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 the screws that hold the whole thing together. You have to know every little aspect, the nuts and bolts of the business. And you have that vision. How do you think you, you saw to gain that? You know, seeing it, seeing it really come to its full, um, I guess like the full potential it's not something I can say I recognized early or immediately in the process. You know, the, the, the passion, and again, I refer to it as passion, but it's really, in my opinion, the, the yearning of the Holy spirit. I think it's, you know, the Holy spirit guides us. He speaks to us. He will take us down the path that we should go if we're willing to, to listen. And sometimes we just have to, you know, be able to be still, be quiet, listen, seek him, you know, and, you know, just like the word says, you know, you know, seek first the kingdom of God, all mm-hmm. these things will be added right. upon you. Right. And so in part of my journey in, in seeking him, you know, understanding that, okay, I'm feeling a, a yearning for, you know, just financial excellence. And that started in my own personal life. And so my journey, you know, post postgraduate journey was I went and I got a, 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 a I'm sorry, an, um, an insurance license. Mm-hmm. I started, I got an insurance license. I got a series six investment license. I got a mortgage license. I got a real estate license. (laughs) And I just kept focusing on different disciplines of finance. And I applied those principles in my life to make sure that I really understood how these processes worked, you know, understood how taxes and accounting and real estate, you know, part of that journey was, you know, to become a real estate investor. And, you know, I, I acquired and still have several properties throughout Central Florida, commercial properties, mm-hmm. residential properties, and my personal portfolio. That expertise allows me to really talk to my clients about, here's how this works. Oh, I can see how that would do that because you're now not just so, let's say, laser focused on one aspect of business, but all of these other experiences kind of widen the playing field for you. It, they do. They they certainly do. And and they all work so well together. We have a, a niche and we focus on the faith-based sector and we we cater to pastors, churches, nonprofit organizations. I, I speak with pastors every single day. And a lot of my pastor clients are are really my friends. They've become my mm-hmm. friends over the years. Uh and, and we've you know, we become very comfortable and confident with each other. But one of the things that I think really adds value for us is we certainly have a for-profit sector of our business. So we have a for-profit portfolio where we have just a number of Christian business owners and they're running their businesses, but they also are looking for the same counsel that the pastors are looking for in running their churches. Some of those same principles in business exists, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the church. And, and so what happens is, you know, we're able to bring these, these, these parties together. And, you know, an example of what happens in kind of our Petra family is, you know, as we approach the end of the year, we have some of our business clients that have done very well this year and they're looking for opportunities for, you know, tax strategy. How do I wrap up the year and improve my, my, my tax position? And maybe that's part of donating to 501 Z three. Well, guess what? On the other side of Petra, in the nonprofit sector, we've got these 20 companies here that are all 501c3s, and here's what they do. Pick one or two that you want to make an mm-hmm. end-of-year donation to. And so all of that is able to stay within the Petra family. And so it helps both sides of our portfolio and the clients on, on either side. And so we are able to really bring all those aspects together because, you know, when you when you have people that are starting, you know, businesses and, you know, they're looking to grow and expand their companies. In some cases, you know, they're, they're in their legacy years, right? 
they are really focused on how do I just take this to the next generation? Mm-hmm. And we want to be a strong part of helping them to ensure that they've planned well, they've strategized well, that their organization is going to last and be able to transition to the next, the next generation. What do you think is the most common mistake that a lot of businesses make uh, before they come to Petra, before they learn this little in and out, what what would be a common error? So expertise, not not being in a place where they can engage the expertise, or at least thinking they are not in a place where they can hire the talent they need. Hmm. And sometimes what happens is, you know, they will wait until they have a problem, until the problem has evolved to an emergency, kind of I need action now position, before they'll reach out to us. And an example of that is sometimes, you know, young businesses will struggle with, with payroll and payroll taxes Mm -hmm. and they'll wait until they've got a big issue with the IRS on these payroll taxes. And then they come seek our service where it's like, Hey, you know, it would have been cheaper if you would have let us help you set this up the right way from the beginning. And so, you know, starting early and there's so many things happening when you're a business owner, you know, you, you're, you're concerned with, service and marketing and negative reviews and employee issues that sometimes, you know, getting to the financial aspect of it is kind of the last thing on your agenda for, for a given week or a given day, you know, and you know, that all makes sense, you know, as, as I have experienced some of those same struggles, but getting help early before your business gets too far ahead of you is, is always going to be my number one piece of advice for, Mm -hmm for young entrepreneurs that are just getting out there. That's really great advice. A church that is saving money in how they're managed or what they do with reporting and all of that, uh, that's a church that has more money then to turn around and sow back into ministry or give to missions or whatever, right? Yes. And, you know, the the issues that, that we see in the church, because, again, we, we support ministries, you know, New York to the Caribbean, and we can identify patterns and trends. There are patterns and there are trends, you know, that we can we can project almost for a given ministry, you know, what's gonna happen as they come out of spring into summer into fall with, with their finances. We we've seen it and it plays out regardless of region of the country. So we have some expertise in terms of here's what you need to consider. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is very important, I think, for pastors to really to consider is really understanding that the community is still hurting, that the need of the church and the role of the church has not changed. It will not change. And it is as important today as it was 2000 years ago. Mm -hmm. The bride of Christ still has a mission and work to do. Mm -hmm. And at an individual local church, God has given a pastor vision for that church. He's given them a certain thing to accomplish. And in order for them to accomplish it, they need expertise and infrastructure. And in most of the churches, they don't have expertise and infrastructure because the way we do church today has really shifted. You know, a lot of the churches post COVID haven't seen their attendance numbers get back where they, they, they need to be. As a result, their tithes and offerings are, are lagging. And so there's a lot of strategy and structure that needs to be in place for pastors to really think about how am I operating my church today? How is it different from, you know, 20 years ago, even five years ago, post COVID, how's it different? And what do I need to do? Because my community hasn't changed. There's still homeless people. There's still people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. There's still people that are abused. There are still the same societal problems that existed before, they're not going anywhere. Those problems are going to continue to be here. The church has had a diminishing role in some of that community support. Mm-hmm. And part of that so diminishing yeah, part of that diminishing role has been because, you know, government has really stepped in. In the last fifty years, government has stepped in where the community church was normally the the community safety net. But what happens when government entities step in and they provide the needs for the people, they do it in a very agnostic way, which they have no choice. They have to do it in a way that's agnostic, if you will. Mm-hmm. 
And that in the long run helps facilitate kind of where we are and what we see today, right? Because when the church provides the support, the guidance, the counsel, the needs of the community, the message of Christ is always interwoven in that, in that, mm-hmm. in that need being met. Uh, but that's, that's not a role for government. They right. can't, they're not going to get involved with that. They're not going to get involved with that, but they are going to attempt to address the need. Mm-hmm. And so as they attempt to address the need and they do it in a way that keeps them out of their religious business, people go elsewhere for their needs to be met. But no matter what physical need is being met, the spiritual emotional need that can only be resolved through Christ still has to be resolved through Christ. Mm. And that's why the role of the church is still as important today as it was, you know, 200, 2000 years ago. Right. And it's, it's not going to change. So, you know, we bring our gift to the kingdom to give the churches expertise and infrastructure so that they can get out in their community and they can meet the needs of the community. And that's what we mean when we say our vision is to strengthen churches to transform humanity. Right. That's how we, that's how we do it. Well, your profession is recorded solidly in the Bible from Zacchaeus to the fact that Judas was uh, the money keeper for the, for the team there. And uh, it's an important thing, what you're doing and helping churches give an account and uh, to do it in a biblical faith-filled way. And that's what your group Petra Worldwide does. Give us your website real quick before we take another break. Sure. Petra, P-E-T-R-A, worldwide.org. PetraWorldwide.org. We'll be back with Nathan Weaver for one more segment. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando, offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. An enjoyable chat indeed that I'm having today with Nathan Weaver, and he is with Petra Worldwide. The website is petraworldwide.org. They are a full-service accounting group that specializes in helping churches, nonprofits, uh, any ministry-oriented organization. That's what they're their niche would be, is to get in there and give some great advice about how and where you can make changes that will not only save you money, but give you the ability to invest that money into the kingdom of God. And it's such a great plan. Uh, I always appreciate people like yourself, Nathan, that have that ability to kind of see through. I think regularly when I moved to Orlando, I was uh, I was in a uh, situation where now my first year here, I had income from Indiana, income from Kentucky, <laughs> and now in moving to Florida, I had income from this state, and I I was thinking, what a mess my 1040 <laughs> is going to look like this year. Yes. So I went to an accountant who was a Christian accountant, and he looked at me and he goes, man, we're going to prevail. Oh, and nice. that confidence when he said, Mike, we're going to prevail. Uh, it gave me all the peace that I uh, I could have hoped for. And that's what a guy like you, that's what an organization like Petra can bring to a church that is thinking, uh, I don't know how all these parts and pieces are going to fit together in a right way. You offer not only tax type of advice, but also business principles a- that will help them. It, we do. And, you know, I love being able to provide that comfort and peace and that assurance to the pastors because part of my job is, and I tell pastors all the time, and you know, I speak at pastor conferences and engagements, but I always tell pastors that my job is to make sure that when you are delivering your sermon, when you are standing in the pulpit, you're doing what God gave you to do, that you're not worried about the back of the house stuff. Hmm. You're not worried about, you know, are we solid financially? Did we do our filing? Are we compliant? All of that's already taken care of so that you can focus on what you have in front of you as a mission. Do you find that a lot of people 
put off things that they really need to either do themselves or bring in an expert like yourself. Uh, and they don't do that. They don't do that as quickly or as uh, maybe as soon in the game as they should. And that creates that stress, doesn't it? It does. It does. Because what happens is some of the pastors will be either intimidated or afraid. And if they're intimidated or afraid, they kind of just put it off and put it on the back burner. And they'll understand, that, hey, there's some compliance issues that we really should be addressing just to make sure that we are 100% and we won't have any issues mm -hmm. now or in the future. And if they do that, that peace of mind, again, is priceless peace of mind. It really is. Yes. And it can make even the work they're doing in ministry, even studying to bring the message on Sunday, much more peaceful and much more effective because they're not having this lagging burden that's going on. It's like a monkey on the old joke about, uh, you know, get the monkey off your shoulder. They, they constantly feeling the presence of something that needs to be taken care of. And it can be taken care of that easy. Well, Nathan, it's been in the news and we have all tried to get our brains around what all went into this big bill that uh, the Biden administration brought forth. And with it was an inclusion of funding for the IRS, especially uh, yes. to the tune of hiring 87, I've heard two figures, 86,000 or 87,000, I'm not sure, give or take a thousand, it was right <laughs> in there, uh, new agents that are going to do what? You know, what is their role going to be? Well, it is going to be to go through the United States population's taxpayers accounts and their returns and it seems like a whole bunch more of eyeballs going to be on our 1040s than ever before yeah it certainly feels that way it certainly feels that way you know the majority of of those new hires will be in the enforcement and compliance area mm -hmm. so there are some of that some of that eighty-seven thousand will be in technology and development some other areas but the vast majority will be in the compliance area Part of what what that number includes, though, is replacing agents that are retiring. So over the next four or five years, the IRS is expecting, and I think what I've read, and I get these publications like every day, they were expecting somewhere in the neighborhood of forty between forty and fifty thousand agents to retire. And so a big part of that number is replacing outgoing retirees. So when you net net, uh, it's probably not that big of a, a gain per se, but there is some gain in there. And compliance is always going to be important uh, for the service. Now, is compliance another word for audits? It, yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, mm -hmm. for, you know, forced, forced compliance. You know, from the, the, the nonprofit space, you know, compliance is always going to be a, a mandate. They have to, to be in a place where they're being compliant. A lot of the churches that I experience are non-compliant just because they just don't know how to comply. And some of your churches will have, you know, they have paid musicians. They're paying the lawn service person or the, the pastor, and they're not issuing 1099s and they're not getting W9s to get tax ID numbers. You know, that level of basic compliance that is mandatory is the level that, you know, they have to get to at minimum, because what happens in, 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 in this case today is, you know, when you issue payments, you know, totaling $600 or more, you know, to an individual in a business environment, and, you know, there's a business aspect to the church, you are required to report that payment to the mm -hmm. IRS. And if you don't, then you become liable, you know. Um, and so a lot of the churches that, you know, have, you know, have, have, operated and heard rumors and hey if we call it a love offering then we don't need to report it or if we give it in cash we don't really need to report it and what i tell pastors listen you can you can call it whatever you want you can call it love offering donation gift if the cumulative total at the end of your 12 month period it's 600 dollars or more you have an obligation to report mm -hmm. uh, and you have to report and i'll tell you we've we've integrated, I see integrated into Petra as we, we, you know, lots of churches, we bring churches on all the time and without fail, I don't think I've seen one church integrate onto our platform 
without at least one musician quitting, terminating the service because they are used to that tax-free money and they've been, you know, used to that tax-free money for a very long time. So now you take them to, okay, well, we've never given you a 1099. Mm -hmm. So now we are going to report your income. Uh, some of them just walk away. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that's, that's okay. You hire someone else, but it's better to report and be compliant to, you know, as opposed to, um, not complying just to make sure that your your lead musicians happy. Mm -hmm. So so the compliance issues, you know, are always going to be there. But as long as the churches understand what their compliance obligations are and they're willing to work to become compliant, they're never going to have a real issue. You know, the the IRS isn't going to sit back and say, hey, let's go after every church that, you know, didn't report. They're they're just I don't think that's the position they're ever going to take. What normally happens when I've seen the IRS get involved into a church audit, it's because they're auditing some person that's attached to the church that, Hey, this person's got a check every week from the church that totals $20,000, but the church never reported wonder who else they didn't report. And that's, that's what I've seen in the past, but I, it's very rare that the IRS will, in, in my experience, you know, go to the church with a mission of, let me see your books because we think you have not reported as you should. Uh, I've, I've never seen that scenario, but again, where I have seen the scenario, it's either related to payroll or a reporting audit of some member of the church. One of the things that could help a lot of pastors with this is uh, kind of like uh, an opportunity to be coached, an opportunity to gain even the kind of explanation that you've just given uh, I, I would bet that there are many who aren't really thinking about compliance as being something that puts them or their church in jeopardy the way that you just described it. But it but it really is a matter of doing what is right, of rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, of what you're really saying, right? Yeah, well said. Well said. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, you know, because the, the obligations, and, and they just don't know. It's not like the churches or the pastors want to be non-compliant. Mm -hmm. They just don't know. And I have a client that decided to bring a guest speaker in from, from, um, from Brazil. They bring a guest speaker in, but they had no idea that, okay, well, you've got mandatory withholding because it's a foreign person earning a salary on U.S. soil, even for this, this one convention piece. So there's a, a W-8 form that needs to be filled out and you have to withhold 30% of their payment. Wow. And remit it to the IRS. So then they have to do a foreign tax return to get that 30% back. But your obligation when you bring someone from out of the country and you're paying them is that you have to withhold that foreign percentage. In most mm -hmm. cases, it's, it's around 30% and, and go from there. And so there's, there's just issues that they're just unaware of. And that's where the expertise and the infrastructure comes into play. Because once you become educated, you know, I need to do this. Then the next question is, okay, well, how do I do it? You know, and that's where the infrastructure piece will come in. Wow. Now, I guess one other question that would come to a lot of people's mind is, am I going to do it? Am I willing to change what we've been doing? Because I think a lot of churches would hear that and they would go, wow, I never realized that uh, this thing of compliance reached all the way down into my pocket that far. But it really does. It does. It does. And, and a lot of people have, you know, a, a misconception of this separation of church and state and they, you know, they make it mean whatever they decide to make it mean. But whether you're a church or a business, you have compliance obligations mm -hmm. in this society. And that's just one of them. Now, a question for you, do churches have an opportunity when they're considering Petra uh, to kind of maybe have a sit down consult with you guys? Is there a charge for that? We do not charge. We do not charge to sit down and have a conversation like I mentioned, I, I talk to pastors literally every single day uh, from different parts of the country, certainly different parts of the state. And we will sit down, have a conversation, understand their ministry, their objectives, what they're facing, what their history has been. We'll put together a customized plan for them. We'll present it to them. And then we you know, encourage them to move forward with us. And if they do, we take them through a six to eight week integration process. And from that point forward, they can have absolute peace that we've got all the back office stuff handled for you. 
Got just about a minute left, and I'd love to ask you about what your thoughts are, the impact of inflation that is happening right now in our world. I mean, it's everyone in America is tasting it right now. I just had a discussion this morning with my wife about grocery prices, which mm-hmm. continue to escalate. What do you see happening for uh, your organizational uh, clients yes. uh, yeah. with this new real reality? Well, we are certainly coaching our clients to pay attention going into 2023 because the Fed is absolutely determined to bring inflation down. Rates continue to climb, and we're, we're seeing softening and slowing that down in the marketplace. But what's happening and what will continue to happen is discretionary income will continue to be squeezed. And for the churches specifically, they know there's a, a quantifiable pattern. When discretionary income gets squeezed, giving stops. Mm-hmm. People are going to buy their groceries and their medicines before they pay their tithes and offerings. Unfortunate. It should be the opposite way, but mm-hmm. it's not. So the churches have to be really, really, really tight on the budget. Make sure fiscally you've got your budget in place for 2023. Be as tight as possible. And if you can leverage, leverage meaning uh, open credit lines to use other people's money, the banks and the lenders to get through kind of this process so that you can retain as much cash as possible, then that's always a good idea to just ensure your operating income will be able to be operating resources rather than not necessarily income will continue to take you through this next two to three window uh, year window as we get through this inflationary period. Right. Well, I pray this ends and be nice to see gas go back down again. It would. Thankful for the way it's dropped a little bit. Nathan Weaver, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back it's up. It's been my pleasure. Man, I really appreciate your advice and the tone in which you give it as well. This is Petra Worldwide. And it's PetraWorldwide.org. Nathan Weaver, the CEO and executive director, founder of this company. Uh, It's been great to have you. And Merry Christmas, Nathan. Thank you so much, Mike. Merry Christmas to you as well. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on The Shepherd.